0: This is the InFocus podcast from The Hindu.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the InFocus podcast. I'm your host G Sampath. These days one can hardly take a flight without facing pressure to enroll oneself in the Digi Yatra app which is there in every airport ubiquitous these days and since last month however there has been a surge of complaints from passengers about this entire Digi Yatra thing. The main complaint is about security personnel and airport staff collecting their biometrics for the app using coercion and deception too. And according to travellers, CISF of personnel posted at the entry gates often ask them to scan their boarding pass and capture their photos and then they themselves provide consent on behalf of the passengers and enroll them in the Dijiatra app without even informing them. So this element of coercion is especially surprising since the Ministry of Civil Aviation, when it unveiled the DigiYatra policy in 2018, had made it clear that it would be entirely voluntary and digital rights experts have highlighted several other concerns about the Dijiatra app related to privacy, surveillance, exclusion, lack of transparency and accountability, and violation of the passengers' dignity and autonomy. The ministry on its part has been repeating that the only objective of the Dijiatra's biometrics-enabled digital processing of passengers is to usher in quote-unquote paperless and seamless movement through various checkpoints at airports such as the entry gate, security check area, and boarding gate. In this episode of InFocus, we try and answer all these key questions around the DigiYatra app. Is it safe? Is it reliable? How do airports in other countries process passengers in a streamlined and relatively quick manner? And is this app really worth it or should it be withdrawn? Joining us today are Prateek Vagre, Executive Director, Internet Freedom Foundation, and Disha Varma, who is also with Internet Freedom Foundation as Associate Policy Council, and she looks at surveillance and governance-related issues. And the Internet Freedom Foundation, or IFF as it's known, is a non-profit that has been active in the realm of digital rights and policy. Prateek, Disha, welcome to InFocus. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having us. Thank you,
1: Sampan. So uh, to start with, uh, I'll come to you, uh, Desha, first. I was wondering if you can give us a quick uh, historical overview. You know, How did this Digi app come about? When did it come about? What is it all about exactly? And what has been the experience in other countries you know, which have tried a similar kind of a technological tool to, to sort of bring about a faster processing of passengers at overcrowded airports?
0: Sure, I'll try to keep it quick, but there's a lot of history to cover here. Uh, to put it simply, DigiAtra is a biometric-based airport service or flight boarding system, like you mentioned in your introduction, um, which is based on the premise that once you have registered ahead of the travel and scanned your face at the entry point of the airport, you can pretty much breeze through the airport process without showing your ID or your boarding pass again. That is the premise, and it is being cur- currently deployed at around 14 airports in India, But it was introduced you know, many years ago, uh, to make airport processes quicker. But right after the COVID-19 pandemic restrictions were lifted, it was sort of repackaged to be this contactless boarding option that would also relieve post-pandemic congestion at airports. Traditionally, pa- passengers were expected to download the digiyatra app and register on it before their travel by linking their Aadhaar cards or their driver's license. But today, that requirement has pretty much gone out of the window, uh, with what airports are calling one-time sign-ups for DigiYatra, uh, which can happen on the spot, say, at the entry gate of the terminals. And the passengers only have to show their ID and, their, and get their face scanned, and they're on DigiYatra. So it's moved on from an app to sort of like a walk-in service. And uh, recent news reports and surveys will tell you that passengers often don't even realize that they're signing up for DigiYatra. If you were to trace back to its origin story... And address sort of an ongoing mystery about DigiAthra, whether it's public or private. Well, it was launched um, as far back as June 2017 by the Ministry of Civil Aviation as an industry-led initiative. Uh, But it followed the life cycle of any law or policy development. So,
1: when you say industry-led initiative, do you mean the the, uh, airline industry or do you mean some segment of the tech industry and if so, which segment?
0: This was the airline industry. They made requests or um, apparently this is what the press release says that there was an appetite for such a scheme to be on and the Ministry of Civil Aviation coordinated those efforts into this scheme. And I mean, it followed all uh, the the life cycle of a law policy development. So they did do a stakeholder consultation. Uh, They did do a public consultation, although we're not able to find that exact document which puts it out for public consultation. They made inter-ministerial committees. That this all happened in 2017, but, you know, the common thread running between all of this was this was always posed as a state-facilitated service that you can choose to avail. It was always voluntary, never mandatory. Um, Now, if you look at DigiAtra, it has pretty strong undercurrents of uh, privatization, of being a private entity. Um, And this is because in 2018, the Ministry of Civil Aviation made the decision of handing over the operations and the development of DigiAtra and its data ecosystem to a special purpose vehicle, which is a private company, which would be created for this very purpose. And this is where the Digi Foundation comes in. So in 2019, Digi Foundation was incorporated as a joint venture between five private airports.
1: So this Digi Foundation, is it like a, a prof- profit making company or is it a philanthropic body? It calls itself a foundation.
0: Well, it's incorporated as a private company. So, we're unable to find much information on this. They only have two pages on their website. Not much is out in the public domain for us to see. We know that the shareholding is split between five private airports and about 26% with the public authority, that is the Airports Authority of India.
1: So, five private airports are owned by which private entities?
0: So, these are Delhi, Mumbai, Hyderabad, Bangalore and Cochin airports. And all of that, I mean, to some extent, all of these have mixed shareholding, right? Some of these are owned by private entities, like Delhi has GMR, and the some amount of that shareholding will lie in public authorities. So, so if you we were to lift the corporate veil, there are there are many you know mixed patterns to be seen. But as it stands today, Digiather Foundation is a private company.
1: Okay you you spoke about this uh, one time uh, sign up uh, which is the current uh, status of how this app uh, expands from what you choose, what it used to be earlier when you said we had to download the app and then register and so on and you also mentioned that this after this one time sign up which happens at the airport entry gates uh, people don't even know that they have signed up so so this app if it is uh, if if it really is an app meant to facilitate uh, passengers I'm just wondering if you normally when you have an app which is supposed to help you, you have the app on your phone and then you operate it and it helps you and you take, seek its help. So how does this actually work? I mean, this is an app which is for you, but you don't even know. It's, it's not even, it doesn't even need to be there on your phone. And then uh, you still benefit from it through this sign up. Like, how does that happen?
0: Those are very valid questions. And those are questions struggling to get answers to. Uh, Pratik, yes
2: yeah know. I, I was just i was just going to say the same thing right it, it, it's unclear now th- there is you know suddenly this mention of uh or, or this term that's being used about one-time signups right which uh there doesn't seem to be any documentation around it it's unclear what the purpose of it is especially if they claim okay the data is deleted after 24 hours which is you know and let's take that at face value for the for, for now uh but it's really not clear as to then why all you know all this is happening why you are if you're in and, and, and as we saw right uh, and, and, and and even the hindu sort of reported on it where you had a number of people complaining about effectively being uh, being coerced or tricked into uh, into signing up but it, it's really unclear why some of these choices are being made for what is supposed to be uh, a voluntary system right now you know the the ministry's stand has always been uh, that that it's voluntary. It, we have, I think, uh, dated of dated some from from some time last year also uh, a response on RTI uh, where they said it's voluntary. And they, they, you know, I, I think publicly the position has been uh, that that it's voluntary, but it's again you know as tends to be the case in India the the distinction sometimes between uh, voluntary and something that's mandatory or course or strongly suggested. Uh, is not is, is not very clear right and DigiGatra sort of now is uh, has been inhabiting that space of course now with the uh, with the recent loud public pushback uh, it appears that there's been there's been some shift uh, in terms of how they've been operating in in certain airports you know, there is just i think some uh, some anecdotal uh, views that that we've been getting but it remains to be seen how long they continue operating uh, in in this way or whether we will you know revert to a scenario where you know where people are being signed up you know whether it's this one time thing or they have been made to sign up in, in in other ways uh for this system without really being given much choice right there was this there was this interesting survey that that's come out by by local circles and you know i, I haven't gone through it in in a lot of detail but one, one thing that sort of uh one, one of the headline numbers that sort of stood out to me was the fact that about 30 percent of people have are signing up for it without knowing about it uh right and that that just uh it, it just seems extremely confusing extremely strange why things are you know uh are are being rolled out in the way that in the way that they are uh, i want to quickly go back to the to this discussion of private private public etc right and i think it, it, it's a very it, it's almost a philosophical question at this point right because of the way you know disha sort of laid out the the airports that that, that have uh, ownership but if you go within the ownership structure of some of those airports there's a split between uh between public and private et cetera right so now at the end of the day, whether it's completely a private entity or a not-for-profit entity, whatever form it may take, it may change along the way. Right? Uh, the end goal is, or the end outcome for for, you know, for for us and what we are concerned about is how accountable it is uh, to to you know to to people in various ways. And currently, whatever institutional design they are following uh, is you know is allowing them to evade accountability, and that's what we are concerned about.
1: Right. I mean, uh, that uh, little data point uh, you mentioned, Pratik, is very uh, interesting. 30% of the people uh, didn't know that they were getting signed up. So it is voluntary, but perhaps unconscious at the same time is what uh, one can uh, sort of infer from this uh, phenomenon. And to get back to uh, the second part of uh, my question, Disha, uh, about the experience in other countries, uh, do you want to comment on that? I mean, do they have like I mean, I, I mean, my experience other other airports in other countries in the West they do seem to be faster. Is it because of some version of Digi Yatra or is it like what has been their experience?
0: Uh, sure, I can touch upon this. So, in terms of international use cases, we have been tracking facial recognition based passenger verification in the UK and the US to some extent. And the findings that we have with digi also apply to a great degree in those use cases. So, for instance, in the US, um, digi like services um, have been instituted in some airports and they have attracted actually far more criticism, especially when you contextualize this with their already sort of dubious immigration control practices and the effect that facial recognition-based surveillance may have on people of color, um, for instance. So, those, those concerns are exacerbated in that context, you know, it's like a surveillance context. And uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation is an organization that has done some great work on this. And they've contended that their airport biometric system are pretty much direct tools for exclusionary surveillance and uh, institutional discrimination.
1: So, the US doesn't have it anymore? They've stopped facial recognition at airports?
0: I'm not sure if they've stopped it. Like the TSA, from my knowledge, does have an opt-in service where you can pay for a service and um, you know go for facial recognition-based authentication just to make your process faster. But um, the scope of our investigation there was very limited as to the surveillance um, function creep of facial recognition systems. We've only looked at that. And on like, I mean, we've had a sort of zoomed out view of the UK systems where we haven't noted comments or uh, discussions like these, but we've seen people come out and say that these FRD based systems or the facial recognition based systems really do not make much difference in terms of passenger experience or decongesting the terminal of an airport and that actual bottlenecks and airport processes are physical and that the government can solve at much, you know, in much simpler ways at much physical levels. Yeah, so there's been pushback equally in these two two jurisdictions. Um, Yet in India, it's, you know, like prateek underscored. The discussion is also from
1: my experience, uh, most people in India don't seem to have much of a problem with facial recognition technology per se. I mean, they don't seem to have much of a problem with violations of their privacy rights either, but that's a different uh, story. But as long as, of course, it is used responsibly and, you know, there is proper governance structure there's a valid reason. So, is, is this a valid perspective to have in the context of an app such as DigiAtra, which promises to speed up uh, queues at airports using, you know, facial recognition? Pratik, you want to sort of uh, elaborate on this debate?
2: Yeah, no, it, it, it's a very interesting debate, right? As you pointed out, there is, you know, there are questions about uh, the extent to which Racial recognition technology is a concern amongst people. I, I'll come back to that, but I want to pick on this point. Uh, you know where you where you ended the statement, right? And it promises to speed up queues at airports, right? And uh, you know, Digiata is something that I'm looking at with is a lot of fascination. Right? It's a good example of techno solutionism meet, meeting technology theater, right? Uh, and and I'll explain explain what I mean by that. But the, the takeaway is that it, it is it it is my contention, and I think people are free to disagree with me on this. Is that the way it's being rolled out right now? Uh, it effectively, it, you know, it's effectively inequitable allocation of resources that is cosplaying as uh, as efficiency, right? Uh, and le- le- let me sort of give give an example or, or, or paint a little bit of a picture there, right? In the sense that, look, if, if you look at uh, airport passengers, rates growing. I think they've been growing eight to ten percent a year for the last couple of years. Expected to grow at fifteen uh, percent now. A security point whether it's at you know whether it's at the entrance of the airport or whether it's the security verification inside is always going to be a bottleneck that that is in, in, inevitable right uh because you're always going to have significantly more number of people uh and th- than you know than the rate at which these queues uh, can move right but now what they've done with, with the rollout of dj is that this the way they've allocated resources to dj has also been inequitable right uh now it it, it you know it's varied in different proportions in different airports, so there isn't there isn't a fixed number, right? But for for a lot of cases in the early uh, early days, at least, you had a situation where you know, let's say, X number of gates were uh, were reserved, right, for for, for didiata But the, the actual proportion of passengers that were using it was much lower than X, right? And as a result of that, those people were actually breathing through, and they were like, hey, great, this is you know, this is uh, an excellent, efficient, uh, efficient service right uh, resulting you know leading to that impression right that that then sort of creates this thing that look this is this, this is faster then you have potentially more people uh, m- more people signing on to it as a result that allocation is further skewed right uh, and so, so, so now what you have is a scenario where people who don't use that service are constantly facing a degrading experience right because the number of queues that are uh, available to them is reducing, while the number of queues that are being you know being set aside for uh, for DT Yatra is uh, is increasing, right? But again, at the end of the day, there is a bottleneck there. It is a security verification. It is going to slow things down, which is why I think you you had a couple of weeks ago that there was this you know this I forget whether it was a photo or a video that that uh, a lot of people are sharing on Twitter, right? And I, I believe it, it was Bangalore airport of a very 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 long uh, DT Yatra queue, right? Uh, so as long you know, you're always going to have this problem, right? Uh, it's not going to solve the fact that or it's not going to solve the situation where uh, you know you are essentially creating a bottleneck for uh, for security verification. Uh, but it just seems like oh, you know, facial recognition is this uh, is, is this nice cool technology. You can sort of breeze through it, uh, breeze through it faster, right? Uh, and and I have a counter experiment for for the airports uh, in in India, right? If any of them want want to want to sort of take this up, just to uh, illustrate the point of uh, inequitable allocation of resources. Right? Uh, if we were to say, for example, anyone wearing a green shirt has a has you, you know you have fifty percent of the gates entry gates at an airport dedicated to someone wearing a green shirt. Right? And I'm just picking green because I happen to be wearing I'm wearing green right now. W- what happens to them? Right? Will will they get through security faster? Very likely because it's unlikely that 50% of, of all people entering the airport are wearing uh, wearing green. I know this is a slightly absurd example, but th- the point I'm making is that if you have a situation where you're misallocating resources...
1: So by, by, mis- by allocating, uh, when you say resources, you basically mean uh, entry gates, uh, Prati? It
2: can be gates, yes, it can be gates at the entrance to the airport, it can be gates at the security point right uh, at, at at the security checks in, in in some 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 cases
1: you mean only these entry gates or you mean something else as well
2: in, in no, at, at this level I'm, I'm talking about i'm talking about that right but then the, the, then the other question that that also then comes up is that uh, you know the experience for people who are not using it right uh, like i said those those, those gates are reducing uh, now it remains to be seen over a period of time whether more burden will be added uh, to those people right in the form of you know do they have to justify why they are not opting out uh, why they're not opting for and, I, and i'm taking a four five year horizon right i'm not saying this will happen in the next uh, in the next six months right but when when, when you're looking at uh, when you're you know, when you're analyzing these sort of things it's also important to project
1: yeah, this seems to have uh, you. You say it's a very very good example analogy you made of you know someone with a green shirt having a, a better. Maybe they should just discard Digi Atara and start a green shirt uh, app. You know, maybe that will loosen up the cues. You know, I, I was just wondering if it has the stamp of this whole you know this nudge philosophy of. Behavior change or modification. The behaviorists used to say, you know, just it, it call it mandatory. We I mean, call it voluntary, and then you keep nudging people by all these uh, uh, devious means of, you know, reducing the number of uh, entry gates or making it uh, so far off and so difficult to walk through that you may as well go to the nearest one, which has Digiatra, and do this one-time sign-up. Sorry, when you go on, I interrupted you. No,
2: no, and no, no, and no, and that, that's a fair point. And, and I think, look, it's always going to be very hard to prove that, right? Uh, as you know, as, but. Uh, I, I think you know it, it's a real, it's a real uh, important aspect to consider because you also have to look at the context of people at airports, right? You people are normally in a hurry; uh, they rarely have the time uh, to, you know, to either to argue with, you know, whether it's the uh, the, the staff at the airport or CISF personnel, uh, or you know, walk much longer or get into queues or, you know, basically offer processes that. That seems slow right? Now, by for, for for various reasons, so you also have that, right? Where you're 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 essentially in, in a scenario where uh, the person is likely to choose the path of least resistance, right? Uh, look, that, and that's generally what people do in life, but more so uh, in 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 this context, right? Where all you want to do is get into the airport, board your flight, and and go wherever you 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 have to you have to go, right? Uh, so so there is you know so, so there, there is that aspect. Then you come back to the facial recognition aspect, of it, right? Now look facial recognition technology again a lot has been written and, and studied about the accuracy uh, as, aspect of it and and you know and, and uh, how that works and again in in our investigation or you know most of the use cases we come across facial recognition there's always there's always a tie with uh, with surveillance right now you you can you can do it in that purpose you can also have facial recognition in the sort of an authentication purpose like you would do on a phone right? Uh, Now, it's in this case, you know, the claim that they make is that, you know, it your your facial biometrics, your facial information sort of uh, remains on your phone, etc, right? So so again, let's take that at face value, right? Which is why I went back to that other question of resource allocation, while recognizing that I don't think you can completely, you know, decouple this from surveillance, despite whatever, uh, you know, whatever the claims are, because uh, at the end of the day, it's an airport, there is always going to be an overwhelming uh security consideration of, you know with, with, with these things so do you you can't completely comp- uh, you know decouple the surveillance aspects irrespective of what what is said about how long uh, that information is is stored or not and of course the you know, there is contradiction there in terms of what the privacy policy says so it, it's it's unclear right in, in some cases it says
1: it could be retained longer pratik uh, sorry to interrupt what is the danger for the ordinary passenger from Facial recognition technology. If all, it, if if everything is uh, is, is sort of uh, there is a seeming justification for it, what should they uh, be afraid of?
2: Look, so first I disagree that there is a seeming justification, and secondly, uh, the, the the thing with that question is that it's extremely narrowly focused on this facial recognition te- technology, right? And I, I want to draw that context a little broader, just a little bit, which is that you know you're looking, you know, we're, we're living right now in in, in 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 you know at a time where uh, you are being quantified through various data points in uh, in in different ways right at, uh, at at all points in time now you are also then seeing how uh, you know we we, we re- constantly see reports about this data then being leaked or breached or, or, or some form or the other right so it is a prudent choice for an individual actor to limit their exposure of of information, whether it's biometric, whether it's, uh, whether demographic, whether it's transactional, whether it's commercial, commercial, whatever it is, uh, to limit it to the extent that 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 they can, right? Now, an individual actor is never going to uh, make a huge structural difference, but it, you still want to sort of be able to, you know, not be forced into these, uh, these sort of scenarios, right? So it, it's very important to paint this into the broader picture of uh, what's happening with our personal information, right? And how little control we have. And how much more do you want to add to that, right? Uh, and then there are questions of look how this information can be uh, can be used, abused, misused, uh, etc.
1: Right. I right? mean, uh, I mean that that's a very important uh, point, uh, Pratik. I appreciate you making that. I mean, this entire question of how little control we have uh, over the amount of data that is taken from us and you know and, and used in ways again uh, over which you know we have no idea. And on this, actually, uh, Disha, I wanted to uh, come to you with a question i mean uh, we were going through the reports uh, you know uh, put out by the internet freedom foundation your report and i was just uh, struck by the fact that you know there seems to be no legal basis or framework for the operations of this app, I mean, it, there is a, there is a reference to a particular set of uh, rules or whatever data privacy-related stuff which did not exist when this thing came into being. So, can you explain what exactly is the situation on this uh, particular uh, particular thing? You know, this whole legal basis for the app, how it works, what is the framework?
0: Right. Sure. Uh, well, this will be a sort of deeper legal contemplation of the right to privacy and, you know, whether it is justified or legitimate for a service like Digiyatra to infringe upon passenger privacy in the manner that it does. So bear with me. We look at legal interpretation by court specifically. And here I'm talking about the nine bench Supreme Court judgment, which was KS Puttaswamy. And there they laid down certain a certain test to answer this very question. Like what is the level of you know, legitimacy and whether it is justified. And it says that in order to limit or infringe upon someone's privacy, anyone's privacy, um, which is their constitutional right, uh, the law or the policy or the tool or the service, which in this case will include Dijiatra, will need to meet certain thresholds, like three thresholds particularly of legality, necessity and proportionality. So legality, which is the first prong, says that there must be a law in existence to justify an action of um, limiting or infringing someone's privacy. And this law needs to have a very clear procedure on how said privacy will be limited. Now, we see that the DigiAtra service has privacy implications, which are very far and beyond. And it, and it they span many areas of, uh, you know, concerns. Like they have privacy concerns, informational privacy is being implicated there, but they also have surveillance concerns. We do have the Digital Personal Data Protection Act, which came out in 2023, and the IT Act, to cover, you know, vaguely cover data protection as issues. But there is no law in India right now that provides procedural safeguards for surveillance risks and facial recognition technology particularly. So, not even a standard operating procedure or any passenger centre.
1: Adesha, procedural safeguards for surveillance risks. I mean, this is legal jargon for lay listeners. It will be like gobbledygook. Can you please, like, simplify it and tell us what exactly you mean by procedural safeguards for surveillance risk like break it down.
0: I will make it completely non legalese so facial recognition technology is being used not just in DJ yatra but many other like aspects of life you go out on a street and there will be CCTV cameras um, right they will be they might be enabled with facial recognition tech and uh, you have many government schemes, and I'm only talking about government at this point, just to keep the like the conversation limited to that. Um, there will be schemes wherein you come in to take your ration, for instance, and your face will be scanned. Uh, what happens to this data that is collected from your face, right? All the data points that are taken from here, stored in what kind of a database? How are they shared? What happens if there are Uh, if your right to privacy is injured or if this data is breached or what is the particular procedure to follow to implement a facial recognition technology and to do it safely. That procedure is completely missing and the safeguards for people to approach the government in this case or any other, um, you know, service provider in case of a data breach, those are are particularly missing. So we're talking very in, in a silo of facial recognition technology because it's such a different... Thing from say giving your email or your phone number to a uh, to like an interface or like a service provider. This is your face being scanned. and The data points being processed are very different as well. So we don't have standard operating procedures. We don't have a central law to look at it and to make sure that citizens walk away scot- like you know they walk away without their privacy being harmed or their facial biometric data, which is incredibly valuable, being breached in any way. And uh, yeah, so largely we see that, we see executive bodies like police using FRT-based tools and creating databases out of it. But largely all of that happens without, you know, legal backing to it, which is why we say that there is no legality. And, uh, you know, we we do have policies for DigiYatra, coming back to this particular uh, instance. We do have implementation plans back from 2018. We have a data policy inside the uh, biometric-based system. Scheme policy 2017. But those are merely documents which we can't, which a citizen cannot tomorrow enforce against the entities that are providing the DigiAdra service, whether be it the ministry, whether be it the DigiAdra Foundation. And if you look at the DigiAdra Foundation, their own privacy policy is full of holes. It has many, um, you know, discrepancies and many um, weak safeguards or weak provisions that. Pratik will cover later, but um, yeah. So what what we have is not adequate, and what we have is not law. So what does an aggrieved person do in case of breaches in relation to Digijatra, in case of any form of other harms? Which is why we say that Digijatra lacks that legality in the legal basis.
2: I, I want to add two things. Two things very quickly. Very quickly. I, I wanted to time, Right. One is just you know uh, broader context. Again, a uh, lot of the operation happened no data protection law now we have a data protection law but it's unclear how functional it is because we are still waiting for the rules but effectively at this point there isn't like a data protection functioning regime in in a sense right uh apart from what's there under 43a of the uh of, of the IT act the other point i want to and i want to you know point out to a limitation of the legal basis argument that 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 is often used right because if you look at the current data protection law the way it's worded almost is that it sort of legitimizes all processing of data as long as it is not explicitly prohibited right and i think that's extremely problematic that's an extremely problematic provision uh to have in there in a law that's meant to uh, protect your privacy right you're essentially saying that look unless some form of processing is explicitly banned you can go ahead and do whatever you want right and I, and i think that's a huge shortcoming in the in, in the current law, wherever it is functional in whatever form, you know, whenever that happens. Uh, and I think it's important for, you know, uh, for us as advocates to realize the, the limitation of the legal basis argument and for people to understand the way laws are being drafted currently.
1: Right. So, just to, uh, let me flip it and put it this way. So, is there a danger, uh, let us say, I mean, uh, what I understand from what uh, you and Disha have been saying is that uh, this facial recognition technology, the, the kind of data points it collects is sort of, it's fundamentally of a different uh, kind, you know, it's, a, it's, it's at a different level from what, uh, what you share when you share your email id or date of birth or whatever is there a possibility that at some in one particular area or a storehouse after this frt happens in and the Jyatra collects all your uh, travel data and all that is there a possibility that there is one place where your other details and your face and your date of birth email id phone number house address everything goes up in one place and there is a breach from that place is that like a a, a reasonable fear to have or is it far-fetched, or is it not related to Digiatra as such?
2: No, look, I I think in general, it's not an unreasonable fear to have. In this case, it is unclear whether that's an applicable fear directly, right, in in the context of DigiHatra, because it's, you know, there is some amount of data being aggregated, right, but the claim is that, okay, maybe facial recognition information is not in there, but if you're using the app, you are linking it to to DigiLocker, uh, etc., right? So, uh, it is it is sort of diffused in a sense, but you are creating multiple points where where there is risk, right? And and like I said, uh, it it's you know th- th- while there may not be like a single warehouse specifically in this context, right, data warehouse where all this is there, the risk of you know breach in terms of whether it's your travel information, etc., right? Now whether that happens, you know, at an airport system, whether it happens at an airline system, there can be multiple points at, at which it happened and the risk of breach. Uh, still exists, right? Uh, you know, and again, to be fair, that risk is always going to exist. It, it would be wrong for me to say that any system is is completely or hundred uh, percent, you know, hundred percent safe. Uh, then the problem is, okay, what is the institutional design of that of the entity, and are they taking responsibility, or are you know, are you basically diffusing responsibility in such a way that? It, Ultimately, no one is held accountable. Currently, we are more in, you know, we're, we're tending toward the ladder snare, right? Where even if there is a breach, uh, you're likely going to be pointed to different uh, different entities, each claiming that the breach didn't happen with them or it's not their fault. Uh, and then how do you, where do you get recourse?
1: Right. We are, we are running out of time a little bit, uh, Pratik. Sorry to interrupt. I just uh, wanted to uh, have both of you address a couple of other questions I had. Uh, one of which uh, I was really concerned about was... Uh, This potential for exclusion, and and I I was uh, I'll tell you where I'm coming from here because uh, one other uh, context where uh, we've had a similar kind of uh, a phenomenon unrolling was this entire Aadhaar based authentication you know which was which began as voluntary became sort of nudge nudge mandatory and there's a lot of exclusion uh, especially uh, in you know MGNREGA PDS and so many other contexts where it is uh, Aadhaar based biometric uh, biometrics processing uh, led to exclusion. So I was just wondering, what exactly uh, uh, are you guys thinking in terms of you know, the potential for exclusion, where you have facial recognition uh, being the kind of authenticating tool for entry uh, into your travel?
2: As I, I was just going to say, look, one aspect of the inclusion,
1: certain exclusion
2: rather, is certainly you know the the idea or you know the possibility of an error being introduced, right, or the, or the system failing right uh, now we are not yet at a point where they are not allowing you you know if, if it doesn't fail they just send you uh, in, into another queue right so you know at, at, at this stage exclusion at that level is is not uh, is, is not happening uh, right uh, but it could depending on how this uh, how this rollout uh, sort of happens, right uh, another potentially speculative uh, aspect to consider is then how this plays into Look, the ability to deny someone access to an airport, right? Now, whether that that can be maybe in the form of a no-fly list, right? Uh, But then you have to look into how people get added onto the list, what what procedures are.
1: And to be honest... What if we imagine a scenario where Digiatra reaches a point where Aadhaar has reached now? It's like ubiquitous, everybody is on it, there is no uh, alternative, I mean, what happens then?
2: yeah look so when we are at that point you also have to recognize that divyata is likely not limited just to airports right uh, it it, will, it is probably in train stations other stations i don't know if, they, if by then it may even expand to uh, to other private private places right now in that case the the cost of failure right uh, the cost of failure is basically not having access to any of these places right uh, affecting your right to free movement uh, the other potential of that and you know people can can disagree with me for being speculative on this, uh, but as a digital rights uh, advocate, I I will make this point that uh, look it also then allows the ability for you to specifically deny access and target target people and deny access to them, right? If you if you can say I don't like Pratik Vagare, I don't want him flying, I don't want him go, going to a mall, I don't want him taking the train station, go you know going to the train station and taking a train, you can exclude me from that, right? And if Yatra is your only way of getting in. Uh, then I have, you know, no other way to to get in, right? And on this, I'll just make a fiction uh, recommendation for for your listeners, right? There's this very interesting dystopian movie called What Happened to Monday? Uh, Not a great movie overall, but I would still recommend watching it for the world they build in terms of how exclusion can happen through facial recognition systems.
1: Right, I've seen that film. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I see what you mean. Yeah, it's it's a very good uh, film as well. Disha, did you want to add uh, to uh, what Pratik had said uh, on this particular question?
0: Uh, yes, so Prateek's covered all bases, but just to talk about exclusion and not from a facial recognition standpoint, is just the digital exclusion that it exacerbates, right? Um, in airports, we don't talk about it much because people of a st- certain, uh, you know, people who can afford to fly uh, don't have to face questions like these. But if, uh, if this were to be rolled out at railway stations and other uh, more ubiquitous spaces, um, we run the risk of excluding people who can't, who don't necessarily have smartphones or who don't um, you know, own the facilities uh, to onboard themselves. So, that's that's a conversation that is currently missing. I mean, uh, thankfully, it's restricted to airports, but we can um, see ourselves having in the future.
1: Right. I mean, DG Yatra, I mean, seems like uh, the name seems to sort of spell uh, or sort of uh, indicate that it's not just one kind of Yatra. Anyway, we'll have to wait and see if it moves to other forms of travel as well. And uh, and, and and if it does in the one of the things which is going to be really uh, important is uh, what does a passenger do in case of uh, what he or she feels is unfair denial of service you know some kind of a grievance or you miss a flight because the app was not able to match your face with the id in your database or something like that so and uh, one of the things i found in your uh, writings uh, disha was that you were saying that the nodal authorities for this entire service are not covered under the RTI, even though the entire thing was launched as a state facilitated uh, thing. Like, how, how does that uh, happen? How How is that the case? How, how does it uh, work like that?
0: Sure. Okay, so I will address this in two parts. First, let's talk about what a passenger can do. And second, let's talk about what citizens can do just to keep our public authorities accountable, right? Like, because we want to have transparency, and we want to know what's going on. Um. So as a passenger, like you said, yes, Um. you may face grievances, where well, we don't have statutory remedies specifically for Djihadra, by which I mean, there's no uh, remedies or mechanisms written into any sort of law. Uh, but the Ministry of Civil Aviation has its Air Seva portal, which it launched in conjunction with Digi uh, to ch- take sort of general complaints from passengers. So that's one recourse to take. And then Digi Foundation itself has its own privacy policy, which says that, in case you face any grievances, you can write an email to us. Now, I can say with authority what I'm about to say because I have done both. I was personally forced uh, pretty much by the neck into signing up for digiyatra at the Delhi airport very recently. So I tried filing a complaint on Air Seva first, and it was quite incoherent and incomprehensive to navigate. Um, it's a form uh, with automated responses, so you don't have any drop-down options for digiyatra specifically, so it confines the scope of your complaint. It's also limited by character limits, so you can't really talk about exactly what happened to you. And we as IFF have also written to the Digi Yatra Foundation via email, as suggested, but we haven't really heard anything. Um, so I'm not sure how robust these mechanisms are for, aggrieved, for an aggrieved passenger, which is definitely cause for worry. I will just touch upon very quickly what happens to, uh, you know, citizens who are not necessarily passengers, but we still want to know what is going on within the system uh, for Dji Yatra uh, and data sharing. Um, we have a stellar tool, the Right to Information Act, which we can invoke and file RTI requests asking for such information so, very pointedly, DigiAthra Foundation is not covered under the RTI Act simply because it's a private um, authority. And only public authorities are, are can be entitled or can be enforced to give information under the Act. Now, the auditing authority of DigiAthra Foundation is a public authority, which is the um, computer emergency response team. And this is an authority within the Ministry of IT. They must conduct cybersecurity vulnerability audits and reports pretty periodically and publish them. Now, two confusions and problems arise from this. One, they don't publish or they haven't yet published any reports on DigiAtra audits or the data ecosystem of vulnerability audits. And two, we can't really invoke the RTI Act to ask for them because the certain, as a team, as an authority, was very recently exempted from the RTI Act very specifically. So in December 2023, we had a notification saying the certain will not... Uh, be a part of the RTI Act and under section 24 if uh, listeners would like some more context as an intelligence and security agency you can't really ask them for information. So now we're in a position where we don't have any transparency into this and as passengers we can't really be ensured that our um, grievances will be addressed.
1: Right I mean no transparency and uh, not uh, much by we have accountability either. Uh, Pratik you want to add uh, anything to uh, Disha's comments on this question?
2: Not anything of value in this. Uh, just you know, a little flippant in the sense that uh, they do have a tutor handle, and that does that does seem to respond now. Whether that's the right way for an author, that's the, whether that's the only way you want an authority like this responding uh, is, is another matter.
1: Okay, okay. Thank you for reminding uh, listeners that they do have uh, uh, a last recourse, which is uh, Twitter or X, uh, as they call it now. So, uh, so it's, it's fairly clear now, I think, uh, listening to both of you, I mean, you've explained it so well, uh, whether it's uh, privacy or consent, surveillance, transparency, I mean, there are all these concerns which are very much there. And yet, this app is uh, sort of uh, uh, being uh, pressured on people, uh, it's sort of forced upon them. So, let's assume all these concerns are uh, by some kind of miracle or maybe through serious uh, government uh, work on this, citizens' voices. These concerns are addressed. Would it still be an effective uh, tool, do you think? Uh, is, is it worth all the trouble, you know, so to speak, for uh, speeding up uh, passengers processing in airports? But I think you want to go first and maybe Disha can have the last word.
2: Yeah, no, I I think I'll go back to the green shirt example, right? On 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 that, in the sense that even if you magically solve all these other things, there is there is an allocation consideration consideration here, and the fact that uh, look, airport security or travel, you know, any form of security and travel is by design a bottleneck, and you're not going to completely uh, solve that with this, right? And uh, the, the the thing I will add though with with this current model of Vijayatra, I think it's something you know that listeners should be aware also is that. This the setup that we were institutional design that we were talking about is not unique, uh, to digital and it's something we should we should focus on if you look across the quote unquote digital public infrastructure the suite that we have whether it's you know whether it's uh, ONDC whether it's UPI all of them follow this this institutional design right now we we don't have the time to go into that because that's probably in a whole whole other episode by itself.
1: Sorry, Pratik. Uh, very quickly can you just explain what you mean by the institutional? Uh, I mean the design. Just maybe two, three points, like what, what so the so listeners get what the drift of what you're saying.
2: Very happy to do that. So uh so I think I think we've covered multiple at multiple points in this, how the body that's you know, or the foundation that at at, at the core of it is a sort of a joint venture of sorts between a number of private entities and a number of public entities, right? You know, that sort of consistent uh, throughout right whether you look at whether you look at ONDC or whether you look at NPCI in the case of uh, UPI right and what this setup does is one you're outside the ambit of the RTI act right so as a citizen you're unable to really get any information on in terms of its deliberations how it functions etc right uh, it it can it, you know there, there, you can't even file the the RTI request it discloses what it wants to it may or may not want to disclose a, a, a lot of things The other thing is that they are effectively functioning as quasi-regulators, without the public accountability of a regulator, right? So you, so they're able to take decisions. uh, Sometimes this will be passed off as you know it enables them to be nimble, it enables them to be responsive, right? But it's also enabling them to be unaccountable, uh, and as a democracy, we need to be really concerned uh, about that, right? Because it you sort of have them design across multiple institutions that impact.
1: In lives today. Right. I mean, that's a very important point. I think the big picture is something uh, we also need to keep in mind the way uh, uh, these uh, app based, technology based uh, solutions are brought upon and imposed on a large uh, number of people without adequate participation in the way these decisions are taken. Uh, and uh, Disha, you want to add uh, a final thoughts on whether this is worth it, worth all the trouble? Can you know? Can we look to some version or avatar of the Jiyatra, which is uh, very nice and kind to people?
0: Well, I can't add to what Pratik said. I think it's very eloquently put. But on your specific question, I mean, I'll leave uh, listeners with think sort of a meme, it's funny enough to be called one. But um, I saw a picture on Twitter of the Digi queue being so long and the normal queue having like two people. So what do we, how do we decongest just Digi Yatra now, possibly a Digi Yatra 2.0? I mean, it's it's never ending, right? Like the issues that we're targeting to solve and we're aiming to solve through Digi are not being solved and will not be solved. It's just adding layers and layers and layers of problems. So in my opinion, I don't think it's worth it.
1: Right. I mean, that's a fairly, I think, uh, clear uh, verdict. There. I mean, we'll have to wait and see to what extent uh, the people's concerns and their voicing of their concerns reaches the ears of the powers that be, and hopefully it will, and there will be uh, some kind of course correction on this entire suite of uh, harassments which people are having to face uh, on account of this app. Thank you so much, Pratik. Thank you so much, Adisha, for taking the time out and joining us. And sharing your uh, expert observations and insights on this topic. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you both.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: Thank you. Bye.
1: In Focus will be
2: back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.